Welcome to Interesting Times. I'm Joe Streckert. This episode is a little unusual. About a year ago, I was approached by some documentary filmmakers who were making a movie about Polybius, uh, Portland's video game of mystery. Uh, the story being that it was a video game in Portland arcades in the early 80s that controlled your mind, killed you, that kind of thing. Um, and they were looking for people who had written or spoken about Polybius. And I said, yes, I would love to be in a documentary about a mythical killer video game. They approached me because I had previously done a talk at the Portland Retro Gaming Expo about Polybius. And they said, would you like to do it again in front of our cameras? Uh, and I said, absolutely. So these guys, they set up an event at a space called Velo Cult in Portland, Oregon. It's this sort of bicycle bar event space type thing. And they filmed me and recorded me and we had a great night. There is a Kickstarter for the Polybius Conspiracy. Uh, there's a link to the Kickstarter over at interestingtimespodcast.com. Or if you just Google the Polybius Conspiracy, you'll probably find it. If you want to see a movie about a legendary mythical video game that did weird stuff to people's brains uh, with me in it, and I hope you do, uh, go on over there. Give them some of your dollars. I would really like to see this movie actually materialize. Here's a talk I did for the film. Uh, there are a few references to slides in it. Uh, obviously, this is a podcast, so there's not going to be any slides on it. But you guys are smart. I think you'll be able to figure it out from context. Not a big deal. Here we go. All right, thank you, Dylan. Hi, folks. Thank you for coming out tonight. Um, I tonight I'm going to talk to you about this thing right here, Portland's killer video game, Polybius, and it is a kind of local myth and a local legend that I have always found kind of fascinating. And a bit of backstories about that. I love kind of mysteries and horror movies and creepy stories and all of that stuff. It's one of my favorite genres. I really, really enjoy being unsettled and frightened. And one of my favorite horror movies from the past like decade, decade and a half was The Ring. And I will cop to liking the American version more than the Japanese version. I know that, that is not the cool answer, but too bad. Um, I loved that movie. It was great. I saw it in the theater, and I came back, and I was looking at TV monitors, and I was looking at videotapes, and I was looking at all this stuff that's just strewn around any kind of home or place or whatnot, and I was really worried that Samara was going to jump out of it and kill me, or Sadako, if you go by the Japanese version. And The Ring is really, really good at making something that is a piece of modern entertainment technology and making it horrifying. Okay, it's not modern anymore, because videotapes are not a thing. But a then-modern piece of entertainment technology and making it horrifying, the videotape. And the story that I want to tell, uh, share with you today, the story of Polybius, is kind of like that. It's not about the horrors coming from some dusty old tome or an old scroll or like the Necronomicon or something like that. It's about horrific things coming out of an arcade cabinet like this. Can we get next slide, please? Yeah, and any, any presentation, any like article or podcast or whatever about Polybius has to start, until, has to start with something about this guy. Guess what his name is? Yes, his name is Polybius. 
No, otherwise, why on earth would I would I be showing you this like ancient Greek marble guy? Yeah, Polybius. He was a Greek historian, and he wrote a series of histories that were called the histories because creativity hadn't been invented yet. And um, Polybius, he's actually sort of an interesting guy. Uh, he believed in fact checking, for instance. Um, he didn't want to just get things from hearsay or legends or that sort of stuff. He liked to track down people who had actually experienced stuff and interview them. So that's cool. Uh, he was also a cryptographer. Uh, he invented something called the Polybius Square. It was a five-by-five five square, and you could take the 20 letters of the Greek alphabet, scramble them, and you'd have your Polybius Square. The other person at the other end would have the same Polybius Square. And so you'd have a cipher for sending back secret messages. Uh, I actually think it's sort of a neat coincidence, maybe it's not a coincidence, that a guy who was a cryptographer and into secret messages uh, lends his name to the story and the mystery that we're going to talk about today. None of this will be important at all in the rest of the talk. (laughs) This is not going to come back at all. What we're talking about is something a bit more modern. Can we have the next slide, please? We're talking about a video game that supposedly showed up in Portland, Oregon, or some versions of the story, suburbs of Portland, Oregon, in 1981. This video game was produced in very small quantities. There were only a few of them. And when you played it, it did things to you. After walking away, you would experience hallucinations, disorientation, maybe anxiety, um, maybe you developed some kind of anathema to us. Maybe you developed some kind of hatred to video games. Kids are described playing this game and becoming anti-gaming activists. The game is described as being addictive, as kids lining up to play it and then getting into fights about who got to play Polybius next. I, but by the way, this is from a um, kind of a joke site that I'll talk about later on. And I love it. it says hypersomnia, hypersomnia, insomnia, narcolepsy, nightmares, night terrors, activated. That kind of thing. <laughs> um, my favorite, my favorite sort of riff on it is that you would play this arcade game and kids would then be unable to feel sad. Isn't that a weird little piece of like mind manipulation? Yeah. And then you like watch Old Yeller and you're like, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. But, but can we get to the next slide, please? Yeah. Uh, It's always described as being sort of like this right here. Do you guys recognize this game? Yeah. Yeah. Tempest. So the gameplay of Polybius that would give you hypersomnia or insomnia or non-sad feelings forever or turn you into an anti-gaming activist. Uh, It was supposedly a lot like Tempest. By the way, I suck at Tempest. Um, I kind of hate this game because... You turn the thing and you shoot stuff and it never works for me. But you can see that it's a very kind of symmetrical, vectory game where there is a shape that is you, in this case a triangle, and you have stuff coming out of the middle and you go around and you shoot it. Um, and that is something that the Polybius stories kind of agree on. It's very tempesty, And some stories even go so far as to say that Polybius was a Tempest prototype. Yeah. Can we get the uh, next slide, please? So, I want to talk to you about kind of the seed of this legend, of this myth, of this killer video game. And unfortunately, I'm going to spoil this right now, 
From magazines, from reports, we don't have anything from the early 1980s that acts as a contemporary source on Polybius. So magazines like Game Informer and stuff, they can say Frogger came out this year and, you know, Asteroids came out this other year. They don't mention Polybius at all. The first record of Polybius we have is a post on the site coinop.org from 1998, back in the like dark ages of the internet, 1998. There wasn't even YouTube. I think there was Friendster. Was there Friendster in 1998? There was Friendster? Okay, yeah. Anyways, uh, I'm going to read you um, the full text of this coinop.org posting that acts as a seed for this entire myth. It reads as follows. This game had a very limited release, one or two backwater arcades in a suburb of Portland. Portland is not a backwater, by the way. <laughs> The history of this game is cloudy. There were all kinds of strange stories about how kids who played it got amnesia afterwards, couldn't remember the name or where they lived, etc. The bizarre rumors about this game are that it was supposedly developed by some kind of weird military tech offshoot group, used some kind of proprietary behavior, modification algorithms developed by the CIA or something. Kids who played it woke up at night screaming, having horrible nightmares. According to an operator who ran an arcade with one of these games, guys in black coats would collect to come records. Collect records <laughs> from the machines. They're not interested in quarters or anything. They just collected information about how the game was played. The game was weird looking, kind of abstract, fast action with some puzzle elements. The kids who played it stopped playing games entirely. One of them became a big anti-video game crusader or something. We've contracted... <laughs> We've contacted one person who met him, and he claims the machines disappeared after a month or so, and no one ever heard about them again. Until the ROM showed up. It goes on. Here's what we've found so far. Found English strings, insert coin, and press one player start, and only. Looks like a one or two player game. Found text in the game that says, copyright 1981 Sinneschlossen. Maybe a German company? If anyone has heard of any additional information about this game, we'd appreciate hearing about it. And uh, that posting that I just read to you was accompanied by this picture right here on coinop.org, where it says, Polybius, copyright 1981, Sineschlossen, uh, credits zero. By the way, Sineschlossen, that is German, kind of. Um, apparently, that is not an actual real German word that a German speaker would actually say. Um, it sounds like somebody looked up every article that kind of mentions, uh, that talks about Polybius, mentions about how Sineschlossen sounds like somebody looked up uh, an English-German, German-English dictionary, found the word for sense and delete, smushed them together, and they got Sineschlossen, sense delete. But yeah, coinop.org, right there, you got the amnesia, you got the hallucinations, and mysterious men in black showing up and monitoring the game. So it's all right there in that initial post. Um, the first known inquiry we can have of somebody looking for Polybius online, and this is just the first known one, there might be other different ones that we don't know about, uh, is from rec.games.video.arcade.collecting on Usenet. <laughs> Usenet, yeah, on February 27th, 2000. Um, after that, it showed up in another thread on April 11th, 2001. And in 2003, Polybius hit the big time. 
In 2003, Polybius got onto one place where urban legends, myths, and other stuff all aspire to be. You know where that is? Snopes. (laughs) No, not 4chan. Yeah. No, Snopes. So in July of 2003, it hits to big time. It's on Snopes. And Snopes, they put a red dot next to it, and they said, this is not a real game. What, what buzz kills? But after that, Polybius, the myth in the story, gets much, much more popular, and it starts showing up on a whole bunch of other sites. Now, the going theory about where this comes from, and I want to make a distinction here. Um, Polybius is, I don't think it was ever a real game, um, but is it a myth? Or is it, a, is it a myth in an urban legend, or is it a hoax? And there's a distinction there. Th- something that's like a myth or an urban legend is something that shows up organically. It's like the guy with the hook for a hand that you know, runs after the couple, and then like, they open the door later, and his hook is hanging off the car door. That's an urban legend. Nobody really sat down and wrote that. That's just something that kind of you know, bubbled up from the collective unconsciousness or something. Um, a hoax is something that is made by a person. Um, I am inclined to believe that Polybius is a hoax, but one of the things that I think is interesting about it is that it bears all of the markings and all of the characteristics and a lot of the compellingness of a really good urban legend. More on that later. But the going theory, the going theory is that it was made by a Usenet user named CyberYogi. And back when people still said cyber. (laughs) Yeah, no one says cyber anymore. And his name, real name, Christian Oliver Windler. And this guy, Cyber Yogi, was known for um, April Fool's Day posts, joke posts, etc. And all signs uh, point to him being the guy who made up Polybius and made that coinop.org post. He hasn't really copped to it. And I also don't really want him to because that would sort of ruin it. Um, Yeah, if he just said, yeah, I did that. I like the idea that whoever made Polybius is there with their arms crossed looking at their computer watching us all dance to the story that they told, you know, back in uh, 1998. But could we get to the next slide, please? Yeah. And after that, yeah, you have all sorts of things like this. Yeah. People um, making their own homebrew Polybius cabinets and the like. Um, I I really like this uh, picture because you can see those two. You can see those two cabinets. They're extraordinarily colorful. They have branding on them. Around the around the like joystick and the buttons and the like, there is stuff. You can really tell with the Polybius cabinet. Somebody just took a blank cabinet that has no art on it at all and just put Polybius, and then they're like, "No, nope, we have one. It's real." Like, there should be some trippy lights coming off of that or something like that, but there's nothing. Can we get the next slide, please? Also, lots of folks have made fake ROMs and games and versions of Polybius. In fact, I believe at the Portland Retro Gaming Expo, there was, like, a bunch of Polybius homebrews, right? Homebrew, yeah. yeah, yeah. Did you play any of them? No, I haven't. All right, this is unfilmable. I'm talking to somebody <laughs> in the audience. Um, <laughs> because you're not, able to pick up what, you're not going to be able to pick up what Art's saying. Um, but, yeah. There are lots of folks who have made Polybius homebrews, the most famous being one from 2007, and this is that 2007 version. And you can see it's very Tempest-like. 
the screen is very symmetrical. Stuff is radiating out from the middle. Uh, stuff is coming out of the middle. And you can see on the right there's a little ship. And you take the ship and you shoot things. Um, I want you to think about games from 1981. Okay? Imagine that. Hold that image in your head. This would not have been possible in 1981. <laughs> if this had come out in 1981, this would have blown people's minds. <laughs> yeah. But we haven't gotten to the really weird part yet. The really weird part happens in 2006. And in 2006, there is a post uh, by a guy called Stephen Roach. And Stephen Roach claims to have been a member of Stanislawson. He claims to have been one of the people who worked on Polybius. And this post that he writes it is one of the longest, sloggiest, most unreadable things that I have ever crammed into my eyeballs. Um, to give you an idea of the quality of writing that this guy has, um, he spells his company name wrong twice, and he spells his own name wrong twice. <laughs> so I'm going to read you a bit from the, one of the most incoherent and weird things that I've ever, writ I've ever read. So here... Here we go. Here's Stephen Roach claiming to be a member of the people who made Polybius. He says, quote, After the release, we received terrible news. A 13-year-old boy from the Lloyd District of Portland, Oregon, had suffered an epileptic fit while playing a game only six days after the machines had literally been installed. Literally. <laughs> One of the senior employees that I knew very well contacted me, contacted me to tell me that it caused immense ripples of panic throughout the company, who were of the opinion that they had, quote, created a monster, unquote, as such. It may sound laughable now, but please bear in mind that this was 25 years ago when the video game industry, that's video game industry, capitalized for no reason, <laughs> was in its infancy. Every effort was made to withdraw the game from the public domain as quickly as possible, but the scaremongering was already out in force, and a lot of children were queuing up or daring their friends to play this supposedly nightmarish game. Company directors descended on the town to assess the situation, which may account for these reports of strange men in black suits hanging around, and the machines were often taken in daylight, causing minor but noticeable incidents. As far as I was made aware, only seven machines were distrib distributed around the area, and no other health-related incidents were reported. I heard, off the record, that the company made a one-off settlement to the boy's family, and no more was heard, apart from all the internet-based speculation and resulting paranoia. We disbanded Sanischlossen shortly afterwards because we didn't want to restrict ourselves to the stringent deadlines of other companies and favored distancing ourselves from the game in case of any lingering recriminations which could have done a great deal of damage to our personal and professional reputation, which was our livelihood, and with some of us having very young families, that was extremely important to us. Wow, that was a long <laughs> sentence. So this explanation is almost... Really, there's so much punctuation go or lack thereof going on in that thing. So this explanation, kind of sort of almost possible of a video game, you know, giving somebody an epileptic fit or triggering some kind of episode, that can happen. But I want you to think about this. I want you to think about a video game company. I want you to think about all the labor and the capital and the research and everything that goes into making a video game. All of it. It's released. Then one, one person has some kind of health episode while playing the game. Do you think that any video game company, looking at all the labor and capital and resources and research and everything, would pull their project? 
No, no. Imagine, imagine if somebody kind of like started convulsing while playing Madden. Do you think <laughs> EA would take Madden off the shelves? No, they would ignore it, or they'd cover it up, or they'd, they'd ignore it. They're EA. They can just ignore things. <laughs> but yeah, one person having some kind of episode while playing a game is not enough of a thing to pull the product entirely. So yeah, Stephen Roach is describing the. Um, Worst-run company ever. Here's some more Roach, though. This, and I promise, this will be the last Roach bit I quote. Um, the game was re- withdrawn without nationwide or international distribution, so we grew to loathe it, and it was often a cursed word wherever we met up, and still is today, which is a shame. I still believe we created something that should have changed the face of gaming and would have set us apart from the rest of the industry, but arcade games were often compared to drugs at the time because of their addictiveness, and we created something that small-minded bureaucrats perceived to be the heroine of the video game world that's only crime was to be many years ahead of its time. Yeah, that was all one sentence, by the way. Yeah. And... um, this guy wrote, she later went on to give an interview to a UK site called BitParade, claiming to be one of the guys behind Polybius, this mysterious game that did weird stuff to your mind and was paid attention to by mysterious men in black. Um, I am not inclined to believe Stephen Roach. Uh, again, because Polybius, it doesn't show up in a lot of the gaming literature from the 1980s. Also, um, that coinop.org post is at least coherent, and the stuff that he wrote is just a mess. It was definitely not done by the same person. Um, so even if he made the game, even if he didn't make the game, he's definitely not the hoax originator. I think he's piggybacking on somebody else's creativity. And this is unrelated to Polybius, but Stephen Roach turned out to be a horrible, horrible douchebag. <laughs> so he turned out to be a former police officer, and he and his wife, Gloria, uh, they, ended, they ran an academy, a reform academy. Oh, this thing, is doing, this thing is doing stuff on the thing. Sorry. Edit this out of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Derp, derp, derp. Yeah, he ended up uh, running a reform academy with his wife called Morova Academy. And Morova Academy was one of those places where parents who had kids that would run away, they would contract Roach and his wife to hunt down their kids, bring them to an academy, and then, quote-unquote, reform them. And the reform included things like uh, restricting their sleep schedules, controlling how often they could use the bathroom, uh, playing loud music at them. We're talking, like, scary Guantanamo-level stuff here. Um, Eventually, and they were operating out of Utah, also active in Mexico, and in 2011, uh, Roach and his wife, uh, they were actually apprehended, and they were convicted of child trafficking, fraud, and unlawful confinement. Yeah. <laughs> really, and I know, this is creepy and not amusing, but um, a really weird thing about this is that the guy who you know, claimed to be a part of this video game that really is all about you know, mind control and emotional manipulation uh, was in real life trying to mind control and emotionally manipulate people. Which is messed up. Yeah. So Stephen Roach, uh, not a good writer and horrible human being. But with the whole Polybius story and the like, something that I find fascinating about it and why I think it's actually a very good story and an interesting story 
and a very well-constructed hoax that really strongly resembles an organic urban myth is that there are lots of pieces of it that you can find that were real. Uh, can we get to the next slide, please? Oh, yeah, by the way. Um, <laughs> one more thing before I go into that is that this is from, this is from the same year, 2006, as Stephen Roach's interview. Um, this is from the Simpsons episode, Please, Homer, Don't Hammer Him. And uh, Bart is playing Triangle Wars. I believe that we've all played Triangle Wars and regard it as a classic. And um, there's a thing, to, there's a Polybius cabinet. It says property of the U.S. government on the thing. There is one button. Um, that is the button you press and it hypnotizes you. Yeah, but there are bits of the Polybius myth and legend that actually did happen. And I'm going to take them one by one. So the idea that you can play a video game and stuff happens to you, that is something that has really occurred, and that is something that occurred in Portland. Here are a few dramatic examples. Uh, from the Eugene Register Guard, headline that said, Tummy derails asteroids champ. And there's this little kid. Yeah. There's this little kid, um, Brian Moreau, and he was going to set a record for time spent playing asteroids. Uh, at the time, in the early 1980s when he was playing, it was 52 hours, which is a lot of asteroids. <laughs> and he thought that he could beat that. So this kid, he's at an arcade, early 1980s. He's there with the blessing of his parents who have like rigged him up with these wrist braces so he could play for a long time. They bring Thanksgiving dinner to the arcade and he is subsisting, he is subsisting on Coke and orange juice. Um, and what I find fascinating is that this kid, he's apparently really, really good at asteroids. He would get enough extra lives that when he needed to use the bathroom, he would just run to the restroom let his little spaceship get blown up a bunch of times, come back, and it's fine. He's still got a bunch of extra lives. It's okay. Um, he didn't break the 52-hour mark, though. Uh, he ended up playing 28 hours, but which is a while. Uh, and it turns out that um, playing a video game for 28 hours straight and subsisting only on sugary beverages is bad for you. Um, <laughs> The headline in the Eugene Register Guard was Tummy Derails Asteroid Champ. And yeah, he began to feel sick after 28 hours of playing asteroids and was laid up in bed for a few days after he attempted this feat. So yeah, there you have early 1980s in the Pacific Northwest, somebody playing a game, a kid playing a game, and they are knocked out after the experience happens. This is actually a more dramatic example. Uh, this is an example that I learned about from uh, Retrocade Magazine. And by the way, Kat Despira of Retrocade Magazine, uh, she did probably the best reporting on Polybius of anybody. Um, and it's about a guy called Michael Lopez who, well, here's what he said. Here's what he told. Here's what he told a reporter. He said he was at an arcade playing Tempest and said, I began to feel a weird sensation in the back of my head. Then my vision started going out. Little flashing lights Suddenly, I got sick and stumbled outside where I threw up all over the parking lot. One of my friends walked with me back home, but we didn't make it all the way there. My head hurt so bad. I got to where I couldn't speak. I couldn't walk anymore. I collapsed on someone's lawn four blocks from my house, rolling and screaming in pain. It felt like my head was cracking open. Someone called the cops. That was the first migraine headache that I ever had. I've had them off and on my whole life. 
but it was freaky because I didn't know that this was happening at the time. So there we have a kid playing Tempest and finally and has this horrible, horrible migraine headache. And it is perfectly natural for somebody to mistake like correlation and causation, that saying because I was playing Tempest and I had a migraine, Tempest caused my migraine. Um, much more likely, though, total coincidence. And I think that that little anecdote right there is eerie in how much it jibes with the Polybius story. Um, having seizures, by the way, induced epileptic, epileptic seizures induced by flashing lights, it can happen. Um, back before Pokemon was the international juggernaut that we know today, it was that weird Japanese cartoons that gave people seizures. Remember that? When that was what Pokemon was known for? Back when people still called it pocket monsters? <laughs> no one calls it that today because it would be weird. Um, yeah, and this is a bit more freaky. Can we get to the next slide, please? You guys recognize this game? Berserk. <laughs> yeah, Berserk. You know what? This game killed people. Not really. It's more dramatic if I say this game killed people. So there were two guys who were 18 and 19 years old. Peter Burkowski was 18, and Jeff Daly was 19. Uh, they were both playing Berserk. In 1981, Peter Burkowski was playing Berserk. At 18 years old, he died of a heart attack. And Jeff Daly, in 1982, he was 19, playing Berserk, also died of a heart attack. And, again, an outside observer who's looking at that could say, look at that, two kids, very young, playing this game, drop dead right in front of it. And, again, mistaking correlation and causation, but a totally natural conclusion is Berserk kills people. Um, it turns out that they both just had rare heart conditions, and they just happened to be playing video games at the time. And any stressful situation could have probably triggered that condition. It could have been, you know, baseball or them getting into an argument or skateboards or other thing 80s kids did. <laughs> By the way, Berserk is terrifying. The bad guy in Berserk is simply a smiley face that kind of floats there in the void. And that is, that is scary. Um, he is probably, the smiley face in Berserk is probably the second most frightening gaming villain from the 80s after Sinistar. <laughs> yeah. Beware I Live is probably the most terrifying thing anything ever said when I was, uh, when I was a kid. Um, also, this is deeply unpleasant and not at all amusing, but in uh, 1983 in Houston, Texas, there was a guy called Kenneth Ray Ransom who ended up uh, knifing four people to death in, in an arcade. It had nothing to do with the games, but it was a very sensationalized incident, and it plays up video arcades as a place where dramatic, violent, terrible things can and do happen. Um, and on a completely personal, unrelated note, the original Half-Life... I had to start that game about three times because the first part of it, the first like 20 minutes, there are no crosshairs in the middle of the thing. It just moves around. I almost couldn't play it because it made me sick. <laughs> so having a game like make you kind of ill and do stuff to you, that's plausible. That's a part of Polybius' story that actually is out there. Um, also, can we get to the next slide, please? Polybius being monitored by mysterious men in black. Um, I want to emphasize that these are not actual federal agents. 
These are characters from the popular science fiction movie series called The Matrix. Um, but this is what you get if you go on Google Image Search and you uh, search for Men in Black. This is the first, first thing that shows up that's not Will Smith. <laughs> yeah, these, these men are not jiggy. Um, so the idea of Polybius is that these guys right here would show up and they would look at the scores and the initials for some reason. And there are actual reasons why authority figures and law enforcement would be into video games, looking at scores, and rating arcades. I'm going to take this in two parts. Uh, first part we're going to talk about, uh, can we get to the next slide? Military uses of uh, video games. Like, think about this. You're playing Polybius and some mysterious men in black. They show up, they look at the scores, and they find that you have the exact hand-eye coordination to do what they need. <laughs> Yeah, this is like a last Starfighter situation. <laughs> yeah, and they say, your country needs you, or your planet needs you. Uh, and that's why they've been looking at the scores, to find Ender, you know? <laughs> um, does anyone recognize this? Yeah, this is Marine Doom. This is a Doom 2 mod, and that's Doom 2 with all the good stuff taken out. So it's Doom 2 without the awesome chainsaws and demons, uh, but it is the U.S. military uh, using a video game to uh, train people. Also in 1981 uh, was Battlezone. Uh, Battlezone is actually a very important game in the history of gaming history. It's one of the first kind of first-person-ish 3D environment games. And the U.S. military actually, uh, they said to Ed Rothberg, he's one of the founders of Atari, they said to Ed Rothberg, who made it, uh, we, want you to, we want you to you make it. <laughs> Edit this. Edit this to make me look good. Don't, don't put that in the movie. Uh, they, said to Ed, they said to Ed Rotberg, uh, one of the founders of Atari, uh, we want to use this to train soldiers to use Bradley fighting vehicles. So they modified an existing video game, and it was used to train people. By the way, Ed Rotberg, a lot of people think he made Polybius. Uh, he has been asked again and again and again about, uh, about it. Apparently, he's really, really tired of being asked about it. <laughs> so if you see Ed Rotberg later tonight, don't ask him if he made Polybius because he will get mad at you. Um, and there's also America's Army. Did anyone play America's Army? Yeah, it is a not very good first-person shooter that was used as basically a propaganda and recruitment vehicle by, well, the U.S. Army. So the idea of you know, the government using video games as a training or recruitment tool. Not weird. Want to go to the other element, though. Want to talk about, like, law enforcement monitoring video arcades. Can we get to the next slide? I'll get to get this guy in a second. But this guy's one of my favorite Portland characters. But let's talk about Portland and video arcades in the 1980s. 1980s, video games, they were uh, viewed with kind of suspicion and contempt. They were, you know, addictive and strange and, you know, they were in these places that were dens of iniquity and truancy and everything. Uh, 1981, Portland, Oregon, uh, a video game arcade owner was found guilty of rigging up his machines and using them for gambling, which you weren't supposed to do. Uh, nowadays, the only person who can do have gambling machines is the state. Yeah, with video poker. In Kino. I guess you could go to one of those uh, casinos. I've never been to one, actually. Um, also, in 1982, there was a sting at Games People Play. You guys remember Games People Play? 
Yeah. Where the FBI, they arrested 25 suspects attempting to sell stolen goods at an arcade. Uh, and in 1981, Polybius year, uh, the police, they made 52 arrests at video arcades uh, in Portland. There were also stings in Seattle where there were bugged arcades because they were seen as bed, hotbeds of truancy, of delinquency, of drug use, and hoodlumism. <laughs> yeah. You know those things that it says on video arcades, winners don't use drugs? You know why that was there? Because people were using drugs right in front of those video game arcades. That's why. And dealing drugs right there. Uh, apparently they weren't winners, though. Um, but what I really want to talk about and what I think is most interesting is this fellow right here. His name's Jim Elkins. He predates video, ga- uh, video arcades a bit. In the 1940s and 1950s, he was a racketeer. He ran narcotics, probably prostitution. But his big, his big money endeavor was coin operated amusement machines, things like pinball and slots. In mid-20th century, pinball and slots were kind of sort of the same thing. Uh, Pinball was illegal. Pinball was illegal because you could gamble with it. You could gamble on scores, or some machines could be rigged to dispense tokens or cash or cigars or prizes or other stuff. And Elkins did very well for himself running coin-operated amusement machines in Oregon. Later on, he got muscled out by the Seattle Teamsters. Uh, Elkins had had a good, ex- a good relationship with the Portland police. The Seattle Teamsters, they come into Portland. They start negotiating with the authorities. And Elkins, he's really upset by this. He thinks, no, 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 these out-of-town gangsters, they don't negotiate with the authorities in Portland. I negotiate with the authorities in Portland. Uh, he went to the press, actually, talked about how Portland was being set up for gambling. And again, by the way, we're talking about pinball here. Um, And this was a huge scandal. The idea that city officials in Portland, Oregon, would allow for these nefarious coin-operated amusement machines and bars and fraternal organizations and saloons all over the place, uh, that was a big deal. Uh, It went all the way to the U.S. Senate in 1957. There was a committee called By the way, I'm condensing a whole bunch of history into like five minutes. There was a committee called the McClellan Committee, and they basically yelled at Portland city officials for allowing gambling within the city. And a senator from South Dakota, he said, the people of Portland, Oregon should fly their flags at half-mast as a gesture of public shame. Um, Yeah, Jim Elkins was actually one of the big uh, witnesses for this McClellan Committee. And later on, a fictionalized version of this came out called Portland Exposé, which is all about mobsters and backroom deals and all that kind of stuff in Portland, Oregon. And sure, they're dealing in like narcotics and larceny and and everything, but they're also dealing in pinball. (laughs) Like it's not heroin or crystal meth or whatever. One of their big sort of gangster products is a box that you put a quarter in and then it goes ding. (laughs) Yeah. Now my point here is that Authorities being interested in arcades and video games in Portland and in the Pacific Northwest really isn't all that unusual. There was a very, very well-publicized incident where, you know, video arcades, not video arcades, but coin-operated amusement scenes were at the center of sin and weirdness in Portland, Oregon in the 20th century, which I think runs nicely parallel to the whole Polybius story. Can we get to the next slide, please? I want to talk about why Polybius is compelling. 
why this has a hold on us. And this Far Side cartoon, caption is Hopeful Parents, and they're saying, Nintendo expert needed, 50,000 salary and bonus, equal opportunity employer. Can you save the princess? Looking for good Mario Brothers player, etc. Yeah, I, I love this. I love this cartoon right here because it's parents imagining that video games are meaningful. They're imagining that it's more than just a kid sitting down and wasting his time by defeating Bowser over and over again. They're imagining that it's going to give him skills. It's going to train him up. Uh, and Polybius, I think, is a little bit of a wish fulfillment story because video games aren't something where you just sit down and kill time. They matter. They're powerful. Video games, they can control your mind. Video games can give you weird dreams. Maybe men in black are monitoring the scores and they are going to find the last starfighter out of the high score, high, high score list. And that's, what Polybius, uh, and that's why Polybius is effective. And that's why I think it has a hold on us. Because it makes video games into something that are kind of like this. Not just a time killer, but something that is actually powerful and interesting, even if it's negative. Even if something is kind of evil and sinister, it still has real power and it's still kind of cool. Um, by the way, I would totally play Polybius if I saw it in a bar or an arcade. <laughs> Uh, I would think it might control my mind. Whatever, worth it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can we get to the next slide, please? Um, and I want to emphasize that when you are looking into an urban myth, when you're looking into a hoax, when you're looking into a story, um, finding the truth behind it, that doesn't always ruin the story. I mean... Sometimes you're looking at, say, a UFO sighting and a person saw a UFO and the lights from the UFO, uh, it turns out to just be somebody's car. Or the Loch Ness Monster. The most famous picture of the Loch Ness Monster, the surgeon's photograph, the guy who took that on his deathbed admitted it was a fake. Sometimes people see Bigfoot in the corner of their eye and it turned out just to be a trick of the light. But sometimes you get into a story a compelling story like that of Polybius, and you find things that are just as interesting and weird as the story itself. So Polybius never actually controlled anyone's mind or made anyone sick, but but folks had migraines after playing Tempest. Two guys died while playing Berserk. Video games can cause nausea and, ep nausea and epilepsy all the time. Um, Polybius never actually controlled anyone's mind, but Stephen Roach, he tried to control people's minds in real life with his messed up academy that he had with his wife. Um, authorities, they never checked the high score list of Polybius, looking for people who could jump into starfighters or whatnot, but the military has used video games in recruitment and training. Also, Men in Black have never shown up and skirted games away uh, months after their release, but in Portland, Oregon, you did have the authorities monitoring arcades and looking at what was going on there. And because of all that, I actually find the truth just as interesting, if not more interesting, than the story of Polybius. Thank you guys all very much. Hope you folks enjoyed that. Again, 
Uh, if you want to see this movie materialize, and I hope you do, go over to interestingtimespodcast.com. There is a link to the Polybius Conspiracy Kickstarter. Again, we're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher. Please go to iTunes, give us a rating and a review. Uh, I tweet at Joe Streckert. I'm on Facebook, facebook.com slash interestingtimeswithjoestreckert. Thank you guys very much for listening. See you later.